It's September 27th, 2021. This is Rook. Well, he is an Iranian-French multidisciplinary artist who's become one of the most celebrated young talents of the global art world for his stunning and rich abstract pieces. Sasson Behnam Bakhtiar has a style all his own and takes months to create each piece, but his work is also rooted in reflections on what he calls his own dark and traumatic past from Iran. And Sasson actually comes from a lineage of notable figures of the Qajar and Pahlavi periods. He's with us today to explain all of that, Sasson Bernard Bardiar joins us from France. This is Conversations From, To, and About the Iranian Diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 148. Sado Chelo Hashed, Kiana. Took you longer than usual. I was working, I was working it out of my head, <laughs> making sure I don't slip up and Shia'll get angry. 148 of Rook, nice to be talking to you. Hope you're keeping well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. Hello to you currently from Toronto, Canada, although by the time you're listening to this, we are in London, England. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Salam, Dustan Aziz, Durud, Barshoma. Durud, hello. How are you? Hello. Uh, hello, fabulous Keon. Hi, Jean. Captain Reza. Hello, sir. And the groovy Shia. Hi, Azizam. Hello, Azizam. Hi. Listen, Sasan. What? What was that? <laughs> the way he said it, it was so high as he said. It's the art of seduction. Yeah. You know? Shia is always seducing. You know? yeah. I you hear him talking to like the sure, right. the Rogers Internet guy, and he's yeah. like, uh, "Hi, Azizam, you know." Can, can you fix my internet, Azizam? I love it. I just so wanted sweet. to deliver my love to you. Oh, yeah. No, but right you're God. right. It's very seductive. Yeah, yeah. Oh. that's always delivering the love. Like, yeah. You know, I I used to fall for that. I used to think, oh, Shia's, you know, he thinks I'm great. You know, and then I, I I mean the the UPS the Amazon guy comes and drops off a package. He's yeah, like, he I want to deliver my love to you for this delivery. What's wrong with that? I love everything. It's nothing. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. You know what it is? It's the age of energy. And that is the name of an essay. See how I did that, Shia? That's the name of an essay written by Sasson Bernard Bartillard, who is our guest today from the south of France. Mm, where I'd rather be right I now. I look at you, Keon, because I know... I don't belong here. Your eyes were glazing over. Just uh, you, I had you at south of. What do I need yeah. to do to get to the south of France? You need to partner with Sasson Bernard Bartillard. Maybe, maybe your uh, McLaren driving boyfriend will <laughs> move you one to. One day, one yes. day. No, I mean, uh, maybe you can help Sasan. You could yes. be uh, an aide of some sort. I yeah. will figure a way. I know. I've seen pictures of his studio. 
mm. in uh, the south of France. I mean, he's he's a very very accomplished artist at this point. Even though I think he's still in his thirties, um, he just wrote this uh, essay last year called the age of energy where he talks about i mean he's an abstract artist and i think i mean i'm going to ask him about this but i think uh, part of the reason he felt finally compelled to write this is people are always asking well what does this art mean and you know so he wanted to express the visceral energy that his art is i mean his art is literally his energy on canvas is the way he uh, expresses it and he says that we waste so much of ourselves we exhaust so much of ourselves these days in technology and you know scrolling through our social media mm. feeds etc and that our true power he says has been laying dormant and he's on this campaign for people to to find their own energy again and he's you know he's somebody who really believes in um, becoming one with nature and going mm. outside and I, I mean love it, it. yeah a lot of that's yeah, easier from the south of France, quite frankly. <laughs> you have a good I point. believe in nature. Look at look at my beautiful vista. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> Reza walks out of a broken down apartment building into us. You know, <laughs> it's all internal, though. Yeah. You have to work inward. No, it's a it's a really really interesting message, and his his art is I found it really stunning. I mean, it's very rich in color, mm. and um, he has this process. Which, of course, again, I have to ask him about where he kind of pours himself onto the canvas. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever comes out comes out, and then he waits. You know, I, I don't know if this is. I, I'll have to ask him, but I think he waits a couple of days, or a few days, and then he scrapes off what he's done wow. and layers it again, like paints yeah. more, and then he scrapes it more and then paints more. Oh so it's God. he's layering, 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 and he says these pieces take months sometimes, yeah. and and he is in the mode of expressing, for example. Um, traumatic experiences from his childhood, particularly with respect to Iran. Uh, he's lived much of his life, you know, he's in France, but he, as a kid, went back to Iran, and uh, he has quite a lineage in Iran and, and lived through the aftermath of the Iran-Iraq war and all of that. So um, he's just a fascinating guy. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to talking to him. Sasson Behnam Bakhtiar joining us in a few moments from the south of France. We are technically... In the UK now, yes, right because now, tomorrow we're flying. This. Yeah, we, we're going to be. Uh, we were we're recording this. You're hearing this uh, today. On I mean, we're posting this on Monday, but uh, it's actually Sunday, and we're we're leaving to to go to the UK, where we'll be tomorrow, mm-hmm. and. Um, I'm really looking forward to going back to London, my hometown. Yeah, it should be interesting. We're going to go to your birth home as well. <laughs> I, I don't even know if that's on there. We'll get to that. Uh, We're coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms. Hey, listen, we're on an ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. What is the identity of Iranians who live outside of Iran? How do we even understand who we are at this point in terms of our cross-cultural messed up identity well we want to uh help create the the blueprint the footprint that'll exist forever on that an audiovisual encyclopedia of iranian diaspora identity we're on spotify soundcloud apple podcasts Castbox. you can find us everywhere at rook media instagram and youtube of course if you want to see visuals and if you like your rook descriptions and bulletins in english and persian check us out on telegram at at rook media now I want to get to Sasan Behnam Bakhtiar. I just have to say about the last program that we did. <laughs> now, I got razzed by this group of uh, really? cheap 
peanut gallery of uh, I don't know because I stumbled into an admission that uh, when I was in England you know when I was born in England I was born at home I was born at a house my mother birthed me in at home and Oh boy, did I ever hear, you know, you guys were, uh, I mean, first of all, you made me feel, I mean, it was just like, what? That, you'd never heard of such a thing. Then you suggested it was from a previous centuries, you know, that no one has, you know, and then you were worried about, you know, I mean. Your well-being. The, yeah, my well-being. I mean, Shia was pulling out a stethoscope. I mean, there was whole thing was i i got so after the show i was kind of rattled by it like i was like geez i guess i'm really weird you know like this is a i was and this is a 19 weird 70s like you know english thing or something and and so then first of all my mother my poor beautiful mother who by implication you know you guys were like oh what would you know how come you know uh, I mean, Reza was like, "Is this the 1920s?" When, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so my mother says that this was a choice, and it was a beautiful thing. She loved the idea of having birth at home, and she had a midwife, and my dad was there, and it was, you know, um, so she saw it as very organic and beautiful. Uh, although I've had a couple of people write me and say it's actually brave. You know, it's it's, it's, it's a tough thing for some women to do to, and you, you have to do it at a low risk pregnancy. You know, mm-hmm. if there's a high risk situation, you want to be in a in a hospital. But then I find out that there's actually a whole movement of folks who uh, want to do home births what? and do do home births because it, sure. it's considered cool and it's considered something that they want to do in in the comfort and it's considered natural and they don't want to be in the clinical environment of a hospital. And then I looked up the statistics key on. <laughs> no, I didn't even. First of all, in Ontario, Canada, 21st century, okay. right, where we live, yes. you know, not in uh, Om where Shia is from. <laughs> <laughs> not... Home of the 1940s where Shia was born. Uh, First of all, um, it was a pre-COVID. It was 15% of the population, Mm. uh, 15% of new births were were at home. So still a significant. And then in the last two years, that has shot upwards Mm. because there were concerns about, you know, uh, going into hospitals where there's COVID and, you know, and and they wanted to sort of uh, ensure that the hospitals weren't overcrowded Mm. and, um, I guess there was a there's been a, a huge spike in births at home, oh. and I read up to fifty percent really? of births wow. in the That's in Ontario wow. have been in at home. Oh. So not only am I not a weirdo, <laughs> okay, but, but it's actually a trend, and you know a lot of people are doing it. And I mean, so I, I just wanted to clear that up for anybody else who's sitting at was listening to this and feeling like, <laughs> oh my God, you know we're the societal rejects because we were born at home. But you said that it was the only choice. I think that's that's what made it different. Like it yeah. wasn't up to her. That, that to, there was no hospitals like, like, yeah, in London. That, that, they, that she could only give birth at home. No, no, no. Was no. that not true? No, I didn't say that. No, no, no. I, I didn't I'm say pretty that. sure you we did. We thought that because uh, we read somewhere that the firstborn. The firstborn. Right. No, no, no. Yeah, my, yeah no, no. My mom said something like that. I think what she was saying is you you had the option uh, after, and that's mm. because, and even I read the, in, in current twenty first century, uh, it is safer 
once you've had your first child to have your second or third child. Okay. I mean, listen, I'm no expert on this. Don't <laughs> please don't quote me back if I'm getting any of this wrong. Hey, you're the uh, one who was born I, I at home. Read, I, I yeah, I felt like I had to go Google because I was like, What's wrong oh my with god, me? you know, it's like finding out that I'm adopted or something. Like, I, so not upset. that there would be anything wrong with that, but I mean, you know, it's been a few decades I've been in the planet. You know. So then I was like, oh my god, and and you know, Keon snapping at me like, oh. How come you didn't know, you know, never knew about this? And you know, so, uh, so yeah, so it is it is normal. It's there's nothing. If there's somebody out there feeling very alone, that uh, you are the only person like me who is bored at home. Don't let these people shame you. There's nothing wrong as long as it's safe and it's not a, a high risk pregnancy. You can you can be born at home. Uh, uh, no, and my mom did say that I, I was early. I was two weeks early. Oh, it's not uh, too bad. No, she was really uh, into it. And then, in fact, it was a much easier um, delivery. delivery than it was with my sister in a hospital. Yeah, you know so. what wow. I read somewhere? Um, they have dolphin birthing where you go to a location. Oh yeah, see? seriously. No, listen to All this. Right, yeah. Like, I, there's a few locations a, in the like world. Something expensive involved. Yeah. <laughs> Is this something that rich people do <laughs> oh that we, we don't know? I don't know. Yeah, I, poor I, people go I find would dolphins. Love to, I would love if yeah. someone has done this, you know, write okay. to us. But uh, a few locations in the world, I believe there's, there's a location in Hawaii and Israel, maybe a few others. You go to a, like a ocean opening or whatever and with, mm-hmm. a, and your with a doctor. <laughs> How do you get there? I don't know. On an Private airplane. jet? I'm pretty yeah, okay. sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you go to this facility or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like an open um, ocean space, like, you know, and somehow there's dolphins there, I mm-hmm. guess. And you're, you know, you're pregnant um, and you're about to give birth. So you mm-hmm. go to this place and there's a specialist that's on site. And apparently the dolphin's sonar, um, what do you call it? Sonar yeah. energy or whatever helps with the child's development mm. like it's uh it gives some kind of mm. like natural mm-hmm. I, mean, do I sound like a crazy person no 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 right no, 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 no. when, when I, I was born at home in in london there was a walrus <laughs> and a couple, of, a, couple, a couple of seals in the bathtub uh, they, they, yeah in the bathtub <laughs> that I mean, my mother had heard that if you have some sea animals uh what do we call them uh, aspen yeah. 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 listen there is something mystical and special about dolphins and their energy connected yeah. to sure. humans so i don't know i don't uh, well, i read about it and well, so uh, now I, i'm assuming that uh, do you uh, this may be tmi uh, too I'm much information but are you interested in being a mother i yeah yeah one day okay okay and and would you would you consider uh, uh birthing dolphin. at home uh, no, I, no, I wouldn't right. do that. No, the dolphin birthing sounds interesting. I don't know. I'm gonna. Why to wouldn't <laughs> you do it at home? Um, I wouldn't feel safe. I feel I like, God forbid. Even if you had wrong. a good midwife, you had somebody who's going to help you. You have, you know. I don't so, know. There's always this slight chance that something so goes wait wrong. So you yes. don't feel safe at home with a midwife, but you feel safe miles away on a beach in the dolphin. among <laughs> dolphins. Well, in she the didn't ocean. say she wanted to do that. She it's was. it's within nature. Actually, our guest today might actually know something about this. Maybe you <laughs> right. can ask him. Yeah. You know, he's connected to nature and uh, all our guest that. today. There's I think is canceled special. after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's a special. I don't want to. He doesn't want to have any part of this. There is a special connection between humans and natures mm. and animals that somehow over time we have lost lost this so it would be nice to get it back Mm -hmm. apparently when reza was born (laughs) (laughs) there was a small pack of (laughs) sheep (laughs) there was a my parents couldn't afford dolphins they just bought a can of tuna (laughs) 
<laughs> if you can be around a couple of camels, the, uh, the sonar from the, oh, yeah. the, the camel's head. Yeah, I don't yeah. recommend it. The sonar from camel's head doesn't work that well. Look at me. Listen, there's, there's got to be some truth to this. A few very I, distinguished professors think, have written about it. I think it. actually my, uh, from my parents, like, I think I'm really, you know, I really turned around on this because the way, you know, if you actually listen back to the episode, in the beginning, I'm going, no, it was cool. My mother, it was like a cool thing. And then you guys shamed me out of that. And by the end, I was like, Concerned. I felt terrible. But then, but you know, now that I've thought about it and talked to my mom about it, I, I'm actually really proud of my parents that they did mm-hmm. the home birth because it, it's sort of a, I mean, it's not for everybody, obviously. And, and again, it has to be, you have to make sure it's safe. But it's sort of a progressive thing for mm-hmm. some folks. You know, they mm-hmm. see it as, and especially for Iranians, you know, like I could see that this, you know, there would be some people who would look at this as, you know, like Yanichi. They didn't be honest. They didn't go to the Bibarstan. Like yeah. I went to hospital, yeah. not at home. You know, yeah, like yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, but I'm telling you, the way you positioned it, you're like, you know, that was the only way that you had to give birth. You made it seem like it was 18th century and like, you know, dressed in Amish clothing. Like, that's what I imagined. <laughs> well, you know, I'm older. I mean, this is what happens. You know, there weren't there weren't hospitals when I was young. <clears throat> Listen, a big shout out to Katy Kavandi, Katy Kavandi Immigration Services Incorporated. Kavandi.ca is where you go. Kavandi.ca. So, Shia, you might have heard this the, the, this ongoing story in Iran that there's uh, likely to be restrictions coming on the internet, and you know they they, they may be restricting social media, or there's always a threat of no, internet crackdown. I haven't heard of that. Really? You joking? <laughs> yes. Oh, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so th- this ramped up. I mean, this every few months they talk about crackdown. So recently, this ramped up again, where there was talk of crackdowns on the internet. So apparently, the word immigration has become the most used word in Google searches in Iran. You know, what people are searching for is the word immigration, and immigration demands skyrocketed in recent weeks. So you might want to find the right immigration consultant if you're listening to us in Iran or if you've come from Iran to Canada or the United States and you want to integrate you don't you don't want a consultant who might take advantage of this huge amount of applicants for beneficial purposes by giving misleading information you're looking for an immigration consultant and search if they are official members of the ICCRC look up their reviews Kati Kavandi Immigration Services Inc is well known for working honestly with their clients very responsive handling and chaperoning successful applications all the way through the process. Katy Kavandi Immigration, check out their reviews on Google. Um, Katy Kavandi Immigration Services can be found at kavandi.ca or on Instagram at katy.kavandi.immigration. We'll put links to that on all of our platforms. How you doing, Shia? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shia's attempt at sarcasm. Was, yeah, I know. I was like, no, what is I, I, have not, I have not yeah, heard like, that. I haven't heard it. And he's like, so oh, he's so so innocent that I never expect to sarcasm. You know, if it was Captain Reza, I'd be yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, he's yeah. he's a yuckster. He's joking. Yeah, yeah. I have not heard. That. <laughs> no, that was so genuine. Yeah. I bought it too. And I was like, like Shia hasn't heard about the internet. No, you, problems you, you asked very seriously. Uh, yeah, no, of course. Shia, have you heard about the internet? I I have not heard that. But sarcasm is, can you agree that in Iran or in the culture, it's not as like used? Not as, no, not as much. It's not right. that common. And if you use sarcasm, they uh, they get offended right. a lot of times because exactly. they think you mean something oh, by it. Oh, the girls? You know? Yeah, they're yeah. fucking 
bitches. <laughs> oh my god! I'm good. I'm good. No. Oh, are we recording? Yes, yeah, we're recording. <laughs> no, but seriously, and like that's my sense of humor. And countless fault. times, I would make a joke, and they would be like, "Oh, like manzurichie, uh, like prochain nemi." And I was like, "I'm sure he's going to." But I'm not like that. Yeah. Okay, no, of course. But I, you are actually a little like that, <laughs> like a Persian girl, <laughs> a, a sensitive. <laughs> As key, a key on stereotype of a Persian girl fits you quite. <laughs> we don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, God. It's true, though. You don't know what's shy. Like, uh, okay, Shai, did you know about the internet crackdown? You know, no. We're going to promote Kaji Kavani. I did not know that. Okay. <laughs> the right. of a Wrong yeah. use of sarcasm. Trying to do a promo. I know, yeah. I know, I know. Shai, Bad timing, man. <laughs> so good. We ought to promote like a mortgage broker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shai, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who are looking for mortgage. I, I, I did not know that. <laughs> 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 uh, let's let's uh, now it's 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 sort of not Monday because we're taping this on a Sunday. So do we have letters or we don't have letters? I didn't have time. I was okay, okay, we don't have the letters. Yeah. But I'll see you guys in a little bit. Yep. Captain Reza, Groovy Shia, the fabulous Keon. Let's get to our feature guest. My feature guest today is an Iranian French multidisciplinary artist who lives in France. Sasson Behnam Bakhtiar's work is stunning and rich and it expresses he says his journey from france to iran his personal life experience of post-revolution iran the dark days of the iran iraq war and his subsequent reflections on these experiences while living in the west sasan has become one of the preeminent young talents of the global art world his oil paintings are created in his signature style of intricate scraping and relaying and spreading of numerous blends over particular points. Sasan's most recent body of oil paintings have been shown worldwide and are part of a notable private collections internationally. He's also made it a point to give back to the Iranian community. He's established the Fondation Behnam Bakhtiar with the focus on helping emerging and established Iranian artists. These days he lives on Saint-Jean-Cap-Ferrat in the south of France, where he says the mountains and climate provide a geographic link with the motherland of Iran. And right now, Sasson Behnam Bakhtiar joins me from the south of France today. Hello, sir. Salam, salam. Salam. How are you? I don't know. Do I say bonjour, salam, hello? Which one? I mean, you, you've got so many identities. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> we, <laughs> we can go either way. <laughs> it is such a pleasure to have you on the program, Sasan Jan. Thank you for I, having. Uh, thank you for having me. You, your work really is stunning. I know uh, Iranians around the world who are aware of you and are, are proud of what you've done. And you're still in your 30s. Um, so thank you for doing this, and thank you for the work you do. Thank you very much. Um, you recently wrote an essay that uh, I really want to focus on in this interview, and, and, and that it's that has served sort of as the underpinning of a, a lot of your recent works. The essay is called "The Age of Energy." Mm-hmm. I want to get to that, but first, you know, you really seem like an artist for whom creating art and painting is a visceral experience, a, a, a cathartic experience. In other words, this isn't just business for you. This is really how you, how Sasson expresses himself. Would that be true? That's completely true and uh, an extremely valid point, yes. I, I, I cannot live these days without uh, uh, spending uh, a good amount of time at the atelier. Tell me about how you, I mean, you, you work very hard at, at trying to put feelings and energy on canvas. How, does, how do you do that? How does that manifest itself? Well, well 
you know, it all started when I was uh, much younger. I'd always had a passion for the arts. And I remember from the age of four years old, I was always uh, spending a lot of time in museums in Paris, uh, trying to follow what the great masters are doing. So being being a son of a father and mother who are bo both artists in their respective mediums and creatives, this was always present in my blood. So uh to fast forward let's say a good 10 to 12 years uh once i moved to iran i started really uh pursuing my passion in a very serious manner uh which led uh, to my understanding of the creative world but in a way that it should be a bit more uh, than what it is meaning that when i create a work today uh, it's like a uh, dance between the canvas and myself. I mean, we wrestle for months <laughs> and months. Uh, and if the canvas can survive after, after the whole process of creation, then I am able to complete this canvas. But does, the canvas uh, does the canvas sometimes not survive? Yes, it happens quite often, unfortunately, <laughs> you, because you, I do. <laughs> you you wrestle that aggressively with your own works. Well, well you know, my my the, my creative process is quite uh, complex in a way that uh, it's very it's like labor work. To be honest with you, I, I work with um, unconditional tools, construction tools, pieces of metal. Uh, anything that I can put my hands on. And um, obviously, I work with, you know, linen canvases usually. And and sometimes, well, not sometimes, I, I often lose myself in, in, in the middle of my creation process, which uh, leads to me tearing the canvas. And uh, it's, wow. it's quite an experience, to be honest with like you. Like a whirling dervish or something. Like you're like a... Yeah. Like, no, I mean, really, like you, you actually... Like what is that saying? You you don't even know where you are, and you're just kind of no, no. Uh -huh. It's 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 kind of like what you said. You, I I kind of lose myself. It is in a way uh, like a meditation practice for me. In a way that I I literally lose myself. I forget about you know the current world that I'm living in, and I'm fully focused on uh, the objective at hand. And, and the objective at hand is not something that I can describe in words. You know my works. My work is made by chance to a certain degree, so I can't control the whole process. Uh, as I work with different mediums and time is an important factor, I need to ensure that uh, the paints that I use are semi-dried or pretty much completely dried when I start working them. So uh, it gets a bit complicated and sometimes obviously I do I do damage the canvas and I need to start from scratch why does it always have to take months I mean can you just it, have you had a circumstance where you paint something and after an hour you go okay that's finished uh, no no uh, not anymore at least uh, because you know my work involves a lot of layering and delayering yes and uh, I need to have that click, you know, uh, and this is when I have, the moment I have that click, I, I realize that the painting is ready and it's complete. So until I get to that point, it takes a while, you know, so it's very normal that I, I like the paints that you see on my canvas is literally, I would say, uh, at most 10% of the paint that I use on the canvas. 
So a lot of the paints that are applied on the canvas are removed and I, I apply it on uh, another canvas and they become the base layers of uh, the following work. So uh, I, I can't let it go until it's completely done. And, and I mean, it would be impossible for me to actually create the works that I do today in a short period of time due to the technical aspect. Of yeah, it. this style is called something called uh, uh, peinture raclée. Is that uh, how you say it? C'est ça, yes, it's peinture raclée in French. And uh, Which, by the way, if you if you Google that, um, you know what comes up is a picture of you. So, so in, <laughs> in other words, I don't, I don't know if a lot of other people are, are using this style or that maybe you invented this style, but, but, but if, I, if I understand this correctly, so you, you paint something and then in some cases you scrape the paint off and then you paint again and then you layer a different blend and different points and then you scrape some of that off and you, and you paint again. Is that, is that basically what we're talking about? That's pretty much it, yes. And some, some, some area, some, on some areas on the canvas, I'd, I, I let the paint stay on the canvas. Uh, in some parts, I remove them. And uh, this process gets repeated uh, over a few hundreds of times. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I continue and I push my physical body to the point where I could I can't feel my wrists anymore because I need to put a lot of force and wow. able to remove uh, what I want to remove. And if the paint is too dry, then I need to put much more force and and hence why i was saying it's it's like labor work a, a type of labor work that i really enjoy so it's not just visceral it's actually physical you you're it's like uh i mean like jackson pollock was it has physical. both aspects yeah. yes it has both aspects to it yeah so how how do you if you're approaching first of all you you must how many works of art are you working on at once then you if they're if they they each involve a few months is there like five different ten different paintings you're you're working on at any given time well, I usually work on about two to three works at the same time, uh, depending on obviously the sizes of the of the works. And we're talking about paintings. If we go to sculptures, that's that's a completely different game. But uh, two, three at most, yes. So, uh, I mean, I know that some of the you you for example said about some of your paintings which we'll get into uh, for the age of energy oh, this is a painting of trees so mm -hmm. you have an intention there i'm going to paint trees now what is the what is the difference between accessing energy uh, in that in that visceral way and saying i am thinking of a beautiful tree branch and i'm going to paint it um, the reason why I started focusing on these paintings and why I choose to paint trees is because I wanted to draw a parallel between human beings and trees because we're very similar in terms of living species on this planet. And the point of this works for me was to show that if trees can live in a very harmonious way and, and do amazing things for our planet, and I'm not even talking about uh, the oxygen and the pollution in the world, you know, they, they do much more than that. They filter negative energies uh, into positive energy and so on, like clockwork, you know. So the point was to, to, to provide, uh, by comparison, to bring forth another fellow living creature, which in this case was a tree, and to show that if these guys, they can do what they're doing, imagine what we are capable of. <laughs> and the edge of energy really points to this, to the reality 
of our humanities to what we are in reality. I am made of energy. You are made of energy. We're all connected. Uh, I, I really wanted to bring out this notion, which I understood, unfortunately, in my case, due to a series of uh, unfortunate events in my life, I was pushed to go the, uh, to, to go that direction. Okay, to hang be able on, to hang understand. on. You know, you say so many things that, and I get so excited. <laughs> I want to. Then you say something, that, and it's over over here. I have to ask you about it. So first of all. Mm. Um, uh, let me come back to the energy and how you paint. Uh, mm. First of all, how are we like trees? You said that we're like okay, trees. Our, I, I mean, I love the trees, but what, we, they seem very different from us. Our DNAs are extremely similar. They you are? Know, if you take it, yes, they are. And if, if, if you place them next to each other, you will see the similarities. And I wanted to use this to be able to make a point about the fact that if these creatures these trees they can do they're capable of doing so many great things that are beneficial uh to our life in this world uh we can do much more right. if we choose to because and if we, we have tune into the right things because we can move so, i mean we, we can do everything we have the power <laughs> we can play frisbee and, and trees have trouble with that yeah <laughs> but this is this is a little bit more than playing frisbee this is about being able to manifesting our thoughts this is about uh -huh, uh -huh. creating our futures by visualizing a particular thought today and 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 to be able to attract that and bring it to life uh so for example if i if i tell you that you have the power of focusing your energy in a way that you might be able to move a particular object would you believe me mm. Th that I can, without touching it, move an object. Without you mean? touching it, I, uh, I don't want to say I. No, I probably would have trouble believing that. Yes. Well, I, I was the same. I was the same, and I was the biggest skeptic when it came to to energy in general. And going back to to what I just said earlier, once you realize that there is something much greater at play, and once you ignite this energy. With time, you can start to control it. Yeah, you've and talked about accessing our dormant power. This is what you mean by that. Well, yeah, this is this is this is a part of that. Yes, at the end of the day, I mean, in my case, I started uh, my journey by by doing different practices such as Kundalini, and Kundalini really works on the seven chakras. It is truly a magnificent experience, and it truly feels like you're evolving as a human being and this feeling in a way once you have it uh, it feels that it should have been your default state of being in a way you know so uh, obviously you, you can keep on you know moving forward in this direction you know you can you know activate your pineal gland and so on and so on and so on and and it's a wonderful journey so once you do all of these things you can manifest things that you 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 thought would be impossible in the past and this is exactly what happened to me and and as you can see today uh, as an artist who is known to paint energy and to visualize it and bring it and bring it on any surface or medium i really want to continue focusing on this notion in order for people to have a little click when they stand in front of the canvas to understand that oh my god uh this makes sense mm. i by by doing one or two simple things every day, I can turn around my life. And this is the mission. 
So, um, okay, let me. I, I there's again a lot of one I want to ask you about that. So, so just just in practical terms to wrap up the 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 process of of how you do your art. Um, mm. So when you again, if you have an intention, I, I want to draw. I want to paint trees um, on a canvas. Uh, do do you have to get into that? That headspace that you talked about earlier, where you're kind of losing yourself, and and then the, the 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 paintbrush just moves in your hand, or can you be more directly intentional about it and st- start? Okay, this is a tree I am painting now, and let's see where this goes. No, it's actually the opposite. So, so I never plan anything. My work, uh, a lot of my work happens by chance. And and as an abstract, figurative artist, let's say more abstract than figurative lately, I let my my inner being take control of of the creative process, because I feel that it's important for me to be able to truly, honestly bring out what I feel about that particular subject that I'm painting. Hmm. Therefore, there is no planning involved whatsoever. So ever, ever. It was, so it's it's literally just about you sitting in front of a canvas and what comes out, what comes out. Yeah, that's it. It's, 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 I mean, a canvas, a canvas uh, changes, changes face, faces at least, I would say, honestly, I don't even know. It might change, change 20, 30, 30, 40 times until I'm done with it. And this is a normal uh, creative process of my work so if somebody said to you um i'm gonna i'm a king and i'm gonna pay you 10 million dollars paint me the champs Elysees," could you do that or would you say no i, I might i might well well i might pay the champs Elysees, but it's gonna be a, it's, it's it's probably not gonna look like the champs Elysees, or i might paint something <laughs> right. that is related to the champs Elysees right. in my head i mean normally normally as an artist you know when it comes to taking commissions and 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 so on uh, i don't do that you know that's uh-huh. just i've had a lot of people who call me or, or via via my galleries they would like to commission a particular work or so on and so on and so on i i don't uh, usually do commissions i do commission works uh, depending on the nature of the project if there is a real passion that is present for the project or if there is something that has a lot of importance for me in terms of uh, my path and my creative process, then, then yes, I do get involved. I do tend to get involved. Sasan, I want to get into your your journey and your identity uh, as an Iranian. But you said something earlier. You you said you, you you first started or you first had a sense that you were going to be an artist at four years old. That seems particularly young to to know that this was your. Uh, this was your passion. This was your field. How, how how would you know at four years old that this was that that you had a facility for this and that this is somehow the path that you were going to go on? Well, this is actually a very good question and uh, something that I usually try try to not talk about. But I think it makes sense to to dig a little bit into that. You know. Um, when I was born in Neuilly-sur-Seine in, in Paris, um, I was unfortunately in a family situation where my parents didn't get along, so I would find myself uh, alone uh, occasionally as a young kid. So I would, you know, try to somehow um, make myself busy with with the passions that I that that, that I have, and from a young age I started understanding. Uh, that I, I, I have 
a deep yearning for anything that is creative, you know, and that led to me sitting at that time in my in my father's uh, flat in Il Saint Louis, uh, sitting by the window painting the buildings on the other side of the street, and uh, it stuck with me throughout my lifetime, and uh, I continued to always draw and paint. I mean, if you would see the amounts of old drawings and 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 works on paper that I did as a child, even me when I look back at them today, I'm kind of, I'm like, oh my God, like I spent a lot of wow. time, which was amazing because it saved, in a way it saved my, it, it, it saved my life in a way that, you know, I, I wasn't as bothered by the uh, challenges uh, of life in my particular wow. case at that time. Were you aware that other kids are not like you, that, that most kids are not, prolific painters no no i mean i used to sit down and paint with a lot of kids i remember my kindergarten you know in the outskirts of paris which was really really cool you know like we sit down and draw and paint with everyone but i just continued doing so you know while while i grew up i started going to school when i went to iran you know i started taking camera going all around going all, all around the country just to document everything i mean imagine a a typical French kid going to Iran, uh, moving to, into Iran at the age of nine years old. I was, I was amazed. You know, I mean, it came with its challenges, but I was like, I was in, I was in Disneyland for me. Right. You know, so traveling all around. Although uh, I think time. most typical French kids don't move to Iran at uh, no, nine years no. old, post-revolution at no. least. No, so. no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, it had, it had its challenges. I'm not gonna lie. The first few years was very difficult, but. By the time I got used to the whole system and, and, you know, I made a lot of friends, I had my own, you know, my own gang and, you know, we started, you know, I started realizing how, how, how it works, you know, back home. Then it started getting a bit easier, but obviously, as, as everyone knows, uh, it has it had its own challenges, of course. You've described that a lot of your inspiration and creative tools come from your experiences as an Iranian and in Iran. Uh, you, you've described it as a dark and traumatic uh, past. Uh, and you've said your past was not normal. Um, if you'll forgive me, I want to get into some of that, to, to uh, you know, in terms of what you experienced. First of all, um, the move from Paris, from France to Iran. Uh, I understand when you were a little kid, your father left the family. So it was just you and your mother. Is that what was connected to this return to Iran? Well, um, in a way, um, I would probably say that my mother had this deep yearning to go back to Iran uh, because of this special, let's say, historical property that was, you know, built by my grandfather and, and the whole family grew up there, you know. It was, it was, you know, really an important place for us, you know. So she really wanted to go back to take care of the place and, and to ensure that, you know, we can, we can live uh, <laughs> in this property. The plan was not to move in uh, for a long period of time at that time. Uh, my dad, I think, I mean, the relationship between my father and mother didn't work out. So, so I guess they decided to go uh, the separate ways. Unfortunately, I was caught in a crossfire. And, and as you can imagine, uh, there, there are a lot of things that comes with it, a big baggage, which takes time to deal with. But when I went to Iran, obviously the first year or two, it was it was really difficult. How old were you? I was nine years old, mm -hmm. and I mean, 
the best way to describe it is that they, they didn't like kids like me, you know, coming from an Iranian who was born outside of Iran. They would, they would see me as a foreigner, you know, and then my family background didn't help as well especially in school. <laughs> and, we should, and we should explain this, that you actually come, I didn't say this in the introduction, but you come from a lineage of notable figures of the both the Pahlavi and Qajar eras, right? Well, not the Pahlavi. My, my, from the Bakhjari side, obviously, uh, we had a lot of, uh, we had several uh, key figures who were involved uh, in the government. Of course, if you were talking about... The era, yes, uh, yes. Not yes, necessarily... Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course, yes. On, I mean, I'm I'm the young generation, you know, so when at that time when I went back to Iran, obviously it took some time to understand it's, you know, uh, okay, this was the past and this is why this happened. Yes. And, and I had to, you know, put a lot of things in their place. Uh, and by that time, I realized all of these things... It was a bit confusing, you know, because a lot of people would treat me in a weird manner, you know, and, and I used to obviously get bullied in school a lot in, in, in Tehran. I mean, that was the first four years of my life. Because I think. you were so, a, a sort of a French kid or because the, the other kids knew about your background? Your both, lineage? both, uh -huh. both. So, uh, which was fine because it led me to become the person that I am. It really toughened me up after, I remember after going through... Uh, Two, I mean, a year and a half to two years of Taekwondo classes. I, I actually became the bully, you know. So it was, it was, it was a question of survival, you know. Right. It was, it was a bit difficult. It was, it had, it had its own challenges. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you could describe it as fine. Uh, it was fine. You learn. I mean, uh, I think. Dark, you know what was fine about d it? dark and traumatic is probably a closer you know? description. But go ahead. Yes. Yeah. What was great about it was that I I really understood my history, my culture, my ethnicity. You know, which which I'm I'm extremely proud of, and I will always be. Uh, what was traumatic was obviously getting into trouble for no reason, left and right, and and ending up in you know weird situations where at some points it might, not that it might, it did get very risky, you know? So mm -hmm. these series of unfortunate events that uh, that started uh, making me think about life, you know? And this is not, I mean, when you were not... When you were growing up in, in France before you moved back, did you... Did you self-identify as an Iranian kid or... or totally, totally. You did, you oh did. Oh my God, so from, I'm, 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 I'm a... I'm a I'm a hundred percent bachelor Tehran, you know. Like I was like, I mean, <laughs> well, you're you're bachelor Paris in the beginning, and then you became yeah. Bachelor. But I never, I never, I never went that direction, you know. So I used to, I used to be everywhere with all my friends, you know. We used to, I mean, I was one of the boys, you know. It was not a question of, you know, being any different, and I wanted to be, you know. It was so you didn't was, resent your mom for going back to Iran. You didn't say, "What are we doing here? Why did I?" You know, uh, I mean, Max, not at uh, all. You know, my, my 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 character, my character is in a way that's that's. I just go with the flow and I try to make the most out of it. Obviously, it was extremely difficult. You know, as I said at the beginning, especially. I mean, I didn't speak Farsi when I went to Iran. I learned wow. the language in six months. I went to Tadbiri for a year. I wanted to get out of there because it was so boring, and I I went to public school myself, you know, and I wanted to go to to normal schools and get into the system, you know, and and it's it's it was great in a lot of ways, you know. I made a lot of friends, you know. I have I have a lot of friends who are as close to me uh, as they can get, you know. We grew up together, you know. We survived together, you know. We. <laughs> 
we did everything that any typical Iranian kid uh, might have done in Iran. So, so always, always look at the cup half full. You know, you're, I mean, we have to. Your early works were inspired mm. by or or reference a lot the the Iran Iraq War, and I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, you were. You were only just born as that war was at its zenith. Why, why did yeah. the war, which would have been over by the time that you returned to Iran, have such an impact on your creative works? Well, I, I had a few memories from that period of time, and there was you know, a lot of uh, linked stories that have... You remember the, the same house that I was talking to you about? You know, for example, there was a piece of a shell that fell in our garden, you know, and it created this massive hole. And then there was fire everywhere, and then and, and there was there was some stuff that I will never forget. But the reason why I went back to that was that, uh, and and I got highly criticized for that body of work <laughs> by whom? But, uh, at the beginning, by our fellow Iranians, because they would say like, "Why are you why are you focusing on a war that was created by you know the new government in power at that time with." You know, with Iraq and so on, and, and I'm like, listen, I'm like, you guys are missing missing the points. You know, that the reason why I did that series, which was called the Reason to Fight, was simply to show the courage of our people. I don't care if they fought for Mr. A or Mr. Y or whoever; they fought to protect our identity. If right. that's war, if these people, these poor kids. And by the law, yeah, I was going to say, by the way, a lot of them were 15 which, years old or something. Which I yeah. do not, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not cool with that. You yeah. know, I'm, yeah. even if you see in my work, you see I've, I've depicted a lot of children in our work. So people, they, they, they remember, you know, what happens. And, and, but not in the sense of, of how the Iran-Iraq war is being spoken about today. I, I was purely focusing of, on the Iranian people and and their their human attributes, you know, because otherwise today we would all be Iraq, Iraqis, you know. It would have been called something else. I would have been called something else, or God knows what. I don't know. But that the whole point of that was to show the strength of our people, you know, that they actually went through that uh, to 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 defend our land. And after that, uh, I did a series which was called The Real Me, mm. and this was really created from this frustration that I had from that that gathered up in Iran year after year. Uh, I grew tired of, of, of always seeing how they portray us and, and the global media, you know? And obviously, I mean, we all went through that, you know? Uh, yes. And and I'm like, oh, are you from Iran? I'm like, no, I'm not from Iran. I'm from Iran, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, come on, you know, let's, let's, I mean, you know, and so on and so on and so on. So all of that built up to a point where I really wanted to show the reality of, of who we are as Iranians, you know? And, and I really went overboard as well. I started exaggerating on creating works, you know, to make a point about us living a life like any other, you know, person in this world. I mean, we're not, we all not have beards, we're not terrorists, we're not this and we're not that. Right, and, this, right. and this frustration always built up uh, throughout the years and the result of it was the Real Me series. Was and, it, uh, Sasan, was it ever uh, an option or a consideration for you to stay in Iran? I mean, obviously you wouldn't become, you probably I wouldn't become the, 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 the globally celebrated artist you are now by being in France. If you, but would you? Did you actually think about that, or or or, or did you know that you had to leave Iran to to follow this 
passion to the extent that you have in terms of the yes art. yes in a way yes i mean my first objective was to i mean this went for a good five to six years where i was really focusing on trying to show the realities uh of our iranian brothers and sisters and i really wanted to come abroad to showcase this as much as i could uh in the global art communities and so on and coming back to your question unfortunately uh in iran is is it has become and has been quite difficult uh to 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 be able to uh continue and to continue a, a decent practice as an artist and to break through as well because of all the challenges that our art community back home is facing you know with there's always something you know there's it's, always side the sanctions or yeah. something else or yeah. something else or something else or you know so I, I still do you know i always felt so much for for all the iranian young creatives back home and and but i knew that i had to get out and i had to you know, follow a, 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 an international path as an artist. And, and this has been my journey during the past six, seven years at least. When did you really know that this um, art, that this being a, an artist um, was not only going to be a career for you, but a, 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 a successful, a lucrative career? Well, I would say uh, six years ago, I took a very important decision. We're 2021 now, so 2007 years ago, sorry. Seven years ago, I took uh, an important decision, and that was to, to fully focus on my practice, uh, meaning that I was already focused, but let's say if I was spending 70% of my time on my practice, I, I, I dedicated 100% after that. And it just happened naturally, you know, it was... It was a combination of a lot of things that were connected that led me to to the understanding that I need to do this, you know, not not only for myself, but for many other reasons, you know. And of course, as an Iranian artist, uh, as a very proud Iranian artist, I really want, just like all, you know, my fellow uh, Iranian artists living in Iran and all around the world, we want to, 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 to show to the world uh, the creative heritage that we hold and, and to be able to keep this place that is an important place for all the Iranian, Iranian creatives. Yes. And, we are, and we are so many that are successfully, uh, are successfully being able to have an important creative process and to move forward. I mean, I'm friends with a lot of the great masters who have who have admired, you know, for for many years back in the past. I mean, these were my idols, you know. And today, uh, I try to remain as close as I can uh, to this community. So, so I think seven years ago, when I when I decided to fully focus on my practice, uh, uh, there was a massive transformation in my work, and and my and my. How can I say? Uh, things just suddenly became uh, very fast, you know. I mean, uh, things started happening one after another. So, exhibition here, project there, you know, this year, this there. So, I didn't even realize how this past seven years have passed. In terms of representation, uh, 
your work, especially when you're referencing Iranian moments or events or feelings and ideas, let alone trees, your work is not literal in the sense that it's it's not that anybody can just look at it and go, oh, he's painting the uh, Maidana Azadi that used to be the Maidana Shahiyat or whatever, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, um, and, and obviously, you you there's a satisfaction in you from that abstraction. Um, that said, and you you know you talked about recently writing this essay uh, mm-hmm. to kind of give people let people behind the curtain of 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 what you do as the wizard in terms of the the art that you mm-hmm. make. How important is it to you that the viewer of your art or the collector or the media understand your message behind each work? In other words, if someone just says. I like those pretty colors. Does that bother you? Do you need them to see more in it? Not or? at all. Not at all. My work is meant for for people who are who are looking uh, for an augmented reality. I mean, during exhibitions, uh, I've had conversations with very serious collectors who love the work, who understood uh, the process of my work, who collect my work, and uh, I've had conversations with people who who did not or do not buy my work but we but we we literally spend a good 30 minutes at a show talking about the mindsets that we both share and that for me brings so much for me if i can turn around and get the attention of a group of people at an exhibition and to give them some sort of a realization that there's much more to life, and once they leave the exhibition, they they leave with an added knowledge and and, and an idea of, of how to tackle it. I don't think I can be more satisfied, uh, and I think it's a very important factor for me at the show. I mean, I remember I'll never forget. I had I had a solo exhibition uh, at the Saatchi Gallery in London in 2000. I think it was 2017, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, and this was the first time that I brought out these kind of large canvases, uh, these old paintings, uh, to the public. I thought it was the right time to bring it out. So we had close to 2,000 people at the private view, and the two hours, the two or three hours at the private view felt like three minutes for me because there were so many people that wanted to talk about uh, the essence of the body of the work. You know, The series was called Oneness Wholeness, it was in line with with what we're talking about today, and that by itself gave me so much satisfaction. I was I was like, I felt like I did my mission. You know what I mean? It's hard to describe. It gives you such a satisfaction. Mm, yes. This is really important for me. Yes. Mm. In, in the age of energy, you write that you believe that we are living in a world today of spiritual displacement. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you mean by spiritual displacement. Well. If you are able to connect to your inner being, if you are able to understand what you are, what your humanity, what your mind, your body, your soul uh, is doing every day, and if you tune inwards, and if you create this link, this is this link is related to this universal energy that is constantly present. When you're able to do that, you will literally feel that you're not alone in this in this world, in this universe. There is constantly an infinite source of energy that is present for you. You just need to tap in. When you do tap in, 
your spirituality, you, you can call it anything you want. You know, people put words on a lot of stuff. You know, people, people call uh, your inner being a soul. It could be anything. But what is truly important here is that you feel what is going inside yourself, your true self, what you are, what you are made of, how you are supposed to live. Uh, you're not supposed to wake up, you know, crack it on every day, uh, run in this rat race, you know, get exhausted. And check check you know, Instagram for the first hour. and <laughs> you're not, We're not made for this stuff. Right. You know, as I was saying, things are getting worse and worse. And we're, you, you're supposed to live in harmony with nature. You're supposed to, you know, walk barefoot, you know, on this earth, you know, it's good for your health. You know, these are like, you know, the, the most basic stuff of it, but and how do you how do you stay outside of the rat race, both in your professional practices and your personal life? I, I want to quote something from your essay, The Age of Energy, where you say, and I'm quoting you here, we live in a world today where the majority of people have lost a necessary connection with their selves. A simple example is when greed makes people forfeit the essence of life, blinding them from what is essential and disconnects them from themselves. They lose their identity and become drifting exiles. Now, I read that and I and I think oh, it's beautiful. I also feel like much of the elite art world is actually about business and material acquisition. So how do you mitigate that? How do you walk that line, both as somebody who has to make a living and well, presumably wants to do well, but also doesn't want their life to only become about that? Well, this is where it gets a bit tricky, okay? So you need to, at the end of the day, in this world, as you can see, I mean, we didn't have Instagram and Facebook before. I mean, when, when you and I were kids, you know, we used to like, you know, run in the streets, play soccer, you know, be in the garden, ride our bicycles, you know, like, like come back home all bleeding, you know, after like six hours in the pool with our friends or whatever, you know, which was great, you know. And, and as we move along in this world, we, we can see if you want to project a path, you can project it and, and understand where we're going, yeah. Uh, when you're talking about, you know, the elitist and the art world, well, obviously, yes, uh, a lot of, of, of the art institutions and galleries obviously have a mindset that is rather based on what you just described. But at the same time, you have, a, you have the other side of the coin. And there are people who actually work based on uh, these values that we're discussing right now. So in my case, which I've had plenty. I've had a lot of people coming to me. I've had major collectors. I've had gallerists who who have approached me. We have started a dialogue, and uh, and then even though the financial rewards of it was great, I I felt it. You know, they they say like you know follow your guts. You know, feeling. You know, yes. it's kind of the same. Yeah. You know, so when when you, you plunge yourself into this world, you start you know following your own intuition. You know. When I was talking to you about, for example, your, you know, you activate your pineal gland, you know, a lot of things changes. You start feeling things a bit more than 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 than, than usual, uh, than how you used to be before. So, uh, I I would you know turn turn off at some point, and I would understand that this is not beneficial to my practice, nor to my personal well-being, or maybe I didn't feel the energy of the person because. As a human being, I've become uh, uh, very sensitive to, to, to someone else's energy and it's only normal, you know? Everyone goes through the same. So I try to work with uh, people who have a similar mindset. Having said that, for example, I work with 
Setare, who who is a great gallerist. Uh, we see things eye to eye. He understands me. He understands uh, the process of my practice, and and we have a very good thing going on. So when I say that it gets tricky, this is where it gets tricky, where you have to basically draw some boundaries to whom you will work with, what you will do. Uh, right. Wow, that's example, why I had, and I'm asking yeah. what the boundaries, I mean, you, you have an agent, right? I, I, well, obviously there are, you know, there are many agents involved in the okay. art world, okay. world. You work with a lot of them, you know, you have galleries, you have, you know, you have you have the auction blocks. You know, you have your collectors, for example. But where I, what, I, what are the boundaries around for for someone who's at a at the high level like you? Um, you know, you probably are getting offers that could be very very would be very very lucrative, and and uh, that most artists wouldn't wouldn't have the um, four sats to to say no. I'm not going to take that yeah. uh, that deal. H- how do you how do you draw the boundaries? That okay, so, be, so that before, you don't become a machine, a businessman, or, or whatever. All of those, those yeah, things that yeah, you've described yeah, 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 that yeah. you don't want to 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 be in terms of losing that connection with the self. Okay, I'm going to tell you something which I usually don't talk about, but since we're having a lovely conversation, okay. I want to first describe to you how I got here as an artist. Um, you need to understand that I was always known as a rebel artist because I always went against the system and against uh, the wave. When I say against the wave is that, you know, people who had positions in the art world always told me how to go about things and how to do them, you know? And somebody like my character who who believes in his own way of doing things, uh, it doesn't really work, you know? So I, I developed my own way of going about things. So as, to continue and in, 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 in what I was just telling you, with time, as I continued my practice, I, I continued to meet similar-minded people. I was lucky to find and to meet collectors who understood what I'm doing and they understood the value of my work. You know, so first, you know, you have five to ten, you know, important collectors who are behind you. That becomes twenty, and then becomes thirty, fifty, a hundred. Then, you know, your name goes out there in press and media and, and, and you do cool cool projects, cool exhibitions. This is the reason why, by the way, every summer I tend to do I tend to do my own exhibitions with my at, at the collector's house usually. You know, for example in June, I was honored and lucky uh, to be able to exhibit at Villa Brasilia in Saint Jean Capferrat, which is an iconic property uh, owned by a lovely collector, Mrs. De Picciotto, who allowed me to exhibit uh, my work and their mag- magnificent gardens. Yes. And these are the things I look for, you know? And with time, I was lucky enough to be able to, how can I say it? I said, you know? Mm. So I was <laughs> I was quite, you know, I, I could carry on my weight, you know? And and then the table start, started to turn. And, and this was in reality, something that happened naturally for me, you know? But it happened because I pursued my way of thinking and I did not listen to, what the others tell me, you know, and honestly speaking, we've, we've, uh, I, I think that I'm an extremely lucky human being to be able to have developed some, such a network and such a supporting group of people uh, who, who, who believe in the work and who pursue me no matter where, where I go, you know, like I'm, I'm, I find myself to have tuned into the right essence of these people to be able to have these relationships with these people you know so 
um, this is how how it happened to me, you know. And then I started just focusing on the same things that I was doing, you know. So today, yes, I do have, you know, interesting opportunities. Some of them I take them, some of them I don't take them. Uh, I protect my space, you know. I protect my energy today. As you were saying, I'm an artist in my 30s. I'm 37 years old today. So I've been around the bush for quite some time because I've gone at it extremely fast. I've worked a lot to 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 be here today it was nothing was given to me you know do you, still so, consider, do you still consider yourself a rebel i will i will probably always remain a rebel rebel you know and 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 you know i i would say when i was younger i would i would i would i was i was much more of a rebel compared to today uh, maturity plays a part but today what's i've transformed that energy into really protecting uh my own energy today you know so i love to work with people who who have similar mindsets. are you surprised by the success you've had given i mean it was always clear that you're talented but but the kind of the stardom i mean you, you know hanging out with uh, just looking at your instagram i mean you're there with pop stars and sports mm. figures and you know whatever yeah but you I, know you these know, these you know you know these pop stars and sports figures also you know is it's, it goes with what I was talking to you about. We all share similarities together. That's why we end up becoming friends, you know? Like, these are people who have, you know, have have, have had interest in my practice, but there have been a lot of, for example, you know, like, you know, celebrities which we didn't, you know, kick off as well as any other normal, you know, like, like, like I had a lot of collectors, I had a lot of people, I had a lot of, you know, I try to stay close to my own community, you know, like I think that there is a lot of importance of having your own community, having your own circle because you are stronger as a whole, you know, and for somebody like me who who started out as a young artist and believe me when I tell you this, I got criticized by everyone. I'm telling you, it was tough. It was like, at some point I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, you guys are supposed to support me. It's like you know? the it's like the, the, it. the record companies who rejected the Beatles in the beginning. I, I, would, <laughs> would, so would some of those people, uh, do, could, do you think about them sometimes and, and given the success you've had and, and have a chuckle? Well, yeah, you know how it is. It all When you become successful, it turns around and like, oh, you know, we all believed in you and oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, of course you did. You know, like, I'm, you know, I, I don't hold grudges because I don't, I don't, I don't believe in, in, in wasting your time by, by trying to, you know, uh, get involved with people right. that, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have maybe your best intention at that time or whatever that it might be. But what I believe in it is that you have to focus on what you believe in. And if you do it with passion and love, it is going to work the same way that it happened to me. At some point, I remember suddenly I turned around to my wife and I'm like, oh my God, look at the difference between now and two years ago, for example, you know, and you don't realize, you know, and and the thing is the trick is you got to live it by your own rules you know if you start living it by others you enter the game and then you you will lose your power you know tell, tell me about giving back sasan tell me about the foundation the fondation behnam bakhtiar well you know as you can imagine i have you know i've i've known a lot of iranian artists uh, i've seen a lot of the works uh, by by my fellow artists from back home from abroad from younger artists to, 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 to older ones. And I just wanted to help out in, in the best way that I could. So back, I, uh, I think in 2013, I launched the foundation and the plan was to create 
a creative hub in the heart of Europe. I launched it in Cap Ferrat, in Flagon Cap Ferrat, and then we recently moved it to Monaco, which is just, you know, 10 minutes away in the Principality. When I say me, in this case, my wife just launched uh, about, uh, I would say, about two years ago, a year and a half ago, her gallery as well, which is working hand in hand with the foundation. And the idea was to start collecting. The whole idea started with creating a permanent collection where we started collecting works by established and emerging artists, even newly emerging artists, you know, to highly established ones. So we have... All Iranian? Are they all Iranian? Only Iranian, yes. Mm -hmm. Only Iranian. And throughout throughout the years, we, we, we were lucky to build an interesting collection uh, to be able to support and to showcase these works uh, on a global platform. Uh, we continued by... Uh, launching a Biennale Awards. Uh, we had the first one in 2017, 2019. Unfortunately, things became complicated with COVID. So yeah. we postponed it to our second edition, which is happening now. The application process uh, is open now. And it's called, Fu the first one was called Future Iran. And the idea was for Iranian creators to uh, show a glimpse of what they thought the future of our country might be. The second one is called Woman Iran. Uh, the application is currently open, I think, until the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and, and, and is, started, your, is your wife also Iranian? No, no, my wife is Russian, but oh. uh, you... Yes, <laughs> but you could tell she's an Iranian because <laughs> she speaks Farsi as good as me, and wow. uh, okay. we've been together since, uh, I mean, we, we met at a very, very young age. It's, it's 18 years we're together now. Wow. So she shares a... You were 19. Uh, I was 19, yeah. I just turned 19, and she just turned 18. Where did you, where did you meet her? I met her in Dubai at a soccer tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Iranians being very good soccer players, you know, we went to the final of this big beach soccer tournament and she was there watching the games and one thing led to another right. and 18 years after, <laughs> yes, we're together still and she shares a similar passion for the Iranian arts and, and she's pushing from her sides. I mean, if you see all of all of the exhibition that she's doing at the gallery, I think besides one of them have been with Iranian artists until dates. Uh, and, if, so, and if you were so, to say in a nutshell, Sasan, I mean, what you believe the state of Iranian art or Iranian artists is today, what would you say? Well, obviously, we, we as Iranian artists have always hold a very important position in the markets. Unfortunately, you know, throughout the years, as you know, uh, a lot of politics got involved and it's, you know, we, we suffered a lot in a lot of different ways. Even, you know, the fellow Iranian galleries back home, they suffered a lot because of the sanctions. And then in the region, there were problems and then nobody wanted to work with Iranians anymore, you know. So it's, it's, it's very hard, you know, on, on us as Iranian artists, especially the Iranian artists back home. So... Uh, but as as per one of my wife's actually latest interviews, and we were talking about this, and I just turned around to her and I was like, you know what, we have to we have to continue focusing on on the strength of of the Iranian creativity that has been present for so many years. I mean, if we want to treat treat this back to 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 to, to history, we can just keep on going and going and going and going. And I really don't think that. All this, you know, 
global effort on, on trying to affect uh, our growth as creatives uh, will not change its future. It might change uh, what we're going through today. We might suffer a lot today. But Iranian artists are, are very strong in their practice. I mean, I've been, I've been since a very young age, I see uh, how artists work, how they are passionate about their work, how their mind works, you know? So no matter what happens at the end of the day, we will always pull through. We are an extremely strong community of Iranian creatives. Uh, we are extremely present in the art markets globally. Going through a tough patch for a year or two is not going to change our future, and that's what I truly believe. It's so great to talk to you. I'm so uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry that you have to live in such a miserable place like the south of France, where there's no beauty and uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, the the difficulty it must be to open your windows and see the um, uh, to be in, on the southern coast of France. The journey, uh, the journey to 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 south of France wasn't an easy one. That's right. That's here. right. Good on good on you. Listen, before I let you go, I I know you've got something coming up in in one of my favorite cities in the whole world, uh, in Berlin. Um, tell right. tell us about that. So Berlin is actually a, a very special exhibition. It's my second solo exhibition with Satare, and it's going to open in Berlin on 19th of March, 2022. The, the exhibition will hold uh, 10 to 12 of my latest works from a new series, which is called Manifest. And uh, the work really focuses on the transformation of energy to matter and access to the subconscious. So it's all about uh, being able, I'm trying to show how you can actually manifest <laughs> what you would like to manifest in your mm. life. And as you said, Berlin being uh, a great city and an important art hub in Europe, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, have uh, manifest my second solo exhibition with Satara uh, beginning of next year. Sasan Behnam Bakhtiar, it's been a pleasure. I thank you for this. Thanks for the time you've given us, and I hope to see you before too long. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me on the show and uh, wishing you the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sasan Behnam Bakhtiar, an Iranian-French multidisciplinary artist who has become one of the preeminent young talents of the global art world. He's the founder of Fondation Behnam Bakhtiar, and Sasan Behnam Bakhtiar joined us from Saint-Jean-Cap-Ferrat in the south of France today. Back on for Captain Reza Grubishaya and the fabulous Keon. I expected that was going to be an interesting conversation. Mm. It certainly was. Ah, I really enjoyed that. It was amazing. It's a a uh, mind-inspiring thinker, Sasan is. Uh, Shaya, your thoughts? Uh, Yes. So, I mean, definitely we need more people like Sasan, especially for our community, Persian community, Mm. to 
care about the air of energy mm. find yourself and embrace the mm. inner energy mm. that you have mm. yeah. it's very true and it never used to be like it used to people used to ignore this sort of talk and concept of like energy and existence of it They'd be like ah just like pull it's your kind of new age yeah, or yeah, yeah new age or what is this hippie thing mm. but now people are more mo- opening up to it more and more and being more acceptance of it because all of us are suffering from yeah. our from social media yeah. uh, addictions and and FOMO and and yeah. I mean, it's it's I, I, I hate it. I hate the yeah. fact that I look at my phone a million yeah. times and a day. And you can't help it. And no, you can't help you can't it. Help like it. you try no. to put it away for ten minutes, but you really can't. Like you, you're addicted to it. The th- the thing that I really liked about him, though, he reminded me of his perfectionism. Reminded me of uh, the great Daniel Day Lewis, actually, believe it or not, when he said. Uh, when you asked him, he said, "Oh, uh, the great Iranian Daniel Day." <laughs> 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 How do those two have anything Iranian? in common? Another, another, another scion, uh, more lineage from the Qajar era, <laughs> Daniel Day. Also Lewis. from <laughs> no, no, please explain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where are you taking this? Go, Go listen. Go if on. you listen okay. for once, Keon. The great Persian not- prince, Daniel Bay Lewis. <laughs> Go ahead. He said, when he said, uh, if the canvas survives, and then you were like, oh, th- th- like some, are there times that it doesn't? And he said, yeah. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis, in one of his interviews, was talking about, I'm always trying to convince myself to do the role. And if I could convince myself, if I, at the end, I'm like, this is the right role for me. Uh, he always tries to talk himself mm. out of uh, offers and stuff. Mm. Then I'll do the part. Do you understand the metaphor at all? I, he lost me. Yeah. <laughs> you see? I'm lost me back in April 2020, <laughs> frankly. But this is... Okay, but your, your point, of, it is very interesting that he wrestles with the canvas. Yeah. Like he physically, mm. like he gets into some zone. Yeah. Mm. Um, I love that because... Um, there's no one prescription for being an artist. You know, we yes. we talked to, uh, to just a couple, two or three months ago to the great Nikki Nojumi, yeah. um, who I think reminds me of the great Daniel Day-Lewis. What? We talked to Nikki, we talked to Nikki Nojumi and Nikki Nojumi has a, I mean, he's in New York, he's a, you know, a famed Iranian-American art, uh, artist. I mean, his way of working is very prescribed i go to the studio i sit in front of the camera i work you know these hours i do it's he's not waiting for the energy to overtake him mm-hmm. and um and this this sasan is much more like this kind of i mean i think i mentioned it in the interview but it's this kind of romantic idea of a of an artist that just gets mm-hmm. caught up and yeah. you know needs to and i mean he he is really saying that this is his, you know, this is his outlet. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he's talking about this as psychotherapy yeah, to a certain extent, yeah. you know. I'm just looking at his work now. My God, such captivating, f- fucking beautiful work. Yeah. Have you guys seen it? Um, I wish, I, I would love to see Have his. Have you guys seen it? Some of us do ra- research for well, a few sadly. days before we do an interview. <laughs> Gian, have you seen? Yeah, have you seen? Have you heard of him? (laughs) I was just going to say, I would love to see his process of like how he creates these beautiful pieces. And actually, I'm really interested to know. I I wish you would have asked him this. Does he take anything to do? Like, I I always wonder for artists, like, (laughs) is it marijuana or shrooms or whatever? Or is it just not like, is he go working from his own energy, energy. like he yeah. does he practices kundalini yoga correct right right, right. I, have it, you I guys mean, tried that well, you, you'd have to ask someone who's really into chaya what do you think uh 
do you think he takes a lot of like <laughs> so lysergic I drugs or no I, but uh, you know my sense is that i think like uh, probably uh, he did some psychedelic mm, and it was right. a trigger for him to mm. go into the right. uh, energy world yeah see that's yeah. why i'm i'm i haven't tried it myself but I, i'd be interested to to kind of discover that inner well, and he's right it, by the way if it brings out some artistic side of you it'll be, <laughs> I wish, it'll be refreshing I wish. Yeah. and by the way he's right when he said show. that trees actually have there are their dna is very closely related to uh, human beings if yeah. you look at the roots of trees it's like the nervous system of a human and they communicate with each other mm, but they can't play frisbee well, that was my <laughs> point <laughs> that's true but who needs frisbee uh, <laughs> and listen a big thank you to Kathy Kavandi and Kathy Kavandi Immigration Services for making uh, this edition of Rook possible for helping with that Kavandi.ca Kavandi this is a full-service immigration firm that offers all inland and overseas immigration services, including temporary visas, permanent visas, PR extensions, uh, citizenship applications. Katy and her team are available to inform, to assist you as their client throughout the whole immigration process. If you want to come to Canada or if you're here and you need support, if you're in Iran and you're looking for somebody, an immigration counselor, Katy is your person. Katy Kavandi Immigration Services. Go to Kavandi. Kavandi.ca or her Instagram page. We'll link to what you see on your screen if you're watching this on Instagram and uh, YouTube right now, or if you're on any of our other platforms, SoundCloud or Apple or whatever, just go to the description and you'll see the link for Kati Kavandi Immigration Services. All right. We are still in Toronto, although technically we're in England because uh, as of the time that people are hearing this, we're in London. Uh, this Thursday coming up, we're going to have our Rook in London show. Yeah. We don't exactly know what it'll be, but we'll find microphones there and we'll uh, make a show from London. And uh, in the meantime, we'll be shooting some things there that we'll bring back and show you guys in the coming weeks. Uh, thank you. So, uh, so, what would you like from England, uh, Shaya? Oh, uh, England is too expensive. Forget about it. Sweet. You see? So tall or fee, yes. <laughs> no, we'll heart. bring you something. We'll He's found some, his inner chi or whatever. Some energy. shortbread <laughs> cookies. Maybe some shortbread. Do you like shortbread? Yeah, shortbread cookies are good. Sure. Do, you, do, you, do you know what shortbread is? No. Okay. <laughs> Short, shortbread? Shortbread chimiche. You're asking the wrong yeah. person turning to me. Do you know what shortbread would be in Persian? I don't know. Shortbread, sandori. I, I, I think we yeah. do have some like that. No hochi kuluchevet. It's not no hochi. It's because it's no, very no, buttery it's and yeah. like mm. thick. And no, we don't have delicious. anything. Well, then we'll have to bring some for Shia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you, Groovy Shia, the fabulous Keon, uh, and Captain Reza. See you guys. Uh, see you, everybody, on Thursday. This is full time for Rook for today. Thanks to Sasan Behnam Bakhtiar for that great conversation. Check him out online on Instagram if you don't. Uh, if you haven't seen his art, Keon's right. It's stunning work. Go to our website, rookmedia.com, for all things Rook, our previous episodes, our guests, our Rook funnies, our videos. Rookmedia.com is where to find it all. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Super Patty Sauce, Savvy Roham, Thoughtful Nagin, Panta, the artist, producer Susan, Fabulous Keon, Ahai Merdad, Sponsorship Sean, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shia. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe on any of our platforms or all of them. If you've not done so already, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Gian Gomeshi. Mizunbashi. Bashi.